Hey, everybody. This is Zach. This is uh, the big R man. <laughs> the big R man. Yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> you, is it because you have a big R on your chest or you're made in an R, like an Uzumaki style? Uh, uh, terror. If, have you it's, twisted it's, yourself? It's, uh, yeah, it's all the tiny little R's on my body that <laughs> are there from birth. They're like tattoos that appear. Uh, every every year you just get a new batch no every time i have like a a terrible reprehensible thought like a new one appears on my body and i'm like ah well i knew it like (laughs) i was on the internet too long yesterday (laughs) things got mixed up Uh, this is my fault i'm just gonna take this i don't have any cool tattoos i just have reprehensible thought tattoos which is where the r comes from so uh, well, speaking of uh, bad thoughts manifesting externally, uh, we're talking about 2021's The Suicide Squad. Um, and don't skip, yes, that we also covered Suicide Squad way, 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 way back in the day. Um, yes, for those faithful <laughs> listeners. Uh, in Lebanon. We were, just, we were just talking about before. I don't understand it. I'm I'm barely here. I, why, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm just here to talk to my friend. <laughs> Everything is content. Yeah. Talking I, to my friend keeps me sane and not screaming internally. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I told Zach, I started telling him some personal details and I was like, no, this is monetizable. Just, just hit the record <laughs> button. We need to uh, negative monetize what we're doing, which is, <laughs> you know, with, with, uh, based on hustle culture, Everything I'm doing right now is just negative value. Yeah. Um, I'm not on the grind right now. What am I doing? I'm not making capital because that's what my entire life should be is designated towards generating capital. Oh, man. Um, Speaking of that, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the like weird turn over the past month or two that like The Rock's internet presence has taken. And maybe yeah. it's just I've noticed it more. Mm hmm. But like all of his videos are this like he's he's this like lovable, fun loving actor or whatever. And so he has a lot of viewers. Mm -hmm. But all of his like Instagram videos are basically a variation of this like toxic monetize everything. If you're not working and making money, you're weak. Get Mm -hmm. better. Be better. Pump more iron. Make more cash. Go, go, go. Fuck you, pussy. Like the last bit is implied mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just very it, strange the the twist that he's taken well you gotta think right now um he is on grind max and he has so much press he has to do for this movie that he's invested so much time and energy in yeah. um and you'd get you'd get a little bit of that because uh, i don't follow him regularly but i do see him trend up and then my wife, who was following him for a little bit, um, isn't as much anymore. Because um, you'd see stuff where he was, like, trending hard, you know, lifting his chains and um, yeah. doing a grind for a show. So I imagine now he's got so many projects and he has to maximize every bit of time that he has to project that mindset out Yeah, that he has to have internally in order to just keep on grinding and going. That makes sense. You know, like you project out what you want to execute yourself. So he's like, got to work, 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 because he's just 
exhausted, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> um, even with, you know, he's got the best nutritionists, you know, he's got the best uh, physicians, you know, he's got someone who's obviously keeping track of his hormones, uh, which we aren't going to talk about in detail here, but he obviously has some hormone maintenance and he's doing it at his age, which allegedly, is, no, which is fine. <laughs> it's so fine. It's so fine. Okay. Yeah. It's if you, if you have a doctor with doing it with you, you know, they're checking your levels. He's obviously trying to keep himself healthy up in the old age to keep his productive years going on. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that wrong is wrong with it uh, from a cultural perspective is illegality uh, and two, like a taboo being around it. Because, um, I mean, there's just nothing. I, it's, not a, it's not a moral quandary, um, at least for me. But in any case, you know, he's grinding hard. His body fat percentage has got to be way super low. Um, yeah. Post Black Adam. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually it's actually really hard to perform at that level when you're that like striated yeah. from like looking up and learning about health and fitness online. Um, when your fat levels are that low um, and your vascularity is that low, like Hugh Jackman talked about having to water fast for like two days before like a really heavy scene as Wolverine yeah. um, in order to like get as cut as he was um, for uh, one of his last roles that he did as Wolverine. And um, when you're that low, apparently it's, it's a lot easier to get injured too because you just don't have a lot of energy stores and yeah. your water intake is like you're really dehydrated. And so that can lead up to like injury. Um, so I imagine it's gotta be, it's gotta be tough. So for me, that feels like, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I remember when he got COVID, um, mm -hmm. there were like everyone online was, were making the jokes of like, well, the rock getting COVID, like he's just going to punch it out. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, he's rich, so he'll probably be fine. But like, he's got mm -hmm. so little fat to maintain mm -hmm. the caloric burn that your immune system needs when you're sick. Yeah. The, and I'm not a doctor. That's just like basic high school biology knowledge of like, this yeah. is generally how an immune system works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hoping he was at the uh, a bulk phase at that time. I, I remember reading about it and um, his posts around that time. And uh, many like cutting edge shorter procedures that they were still trying to like work out yeah. on like a large clinical basis. Like he had them because he has access to like the best doctors. So he's yeah. like, everybody got antibodies, um, yeah. which is like something that was like just being like talked about a potential treatment. Um, and I think a bunch of other things to like help his family get through it. Cause obviously, yeah. I mean, if you have the means, you know, uh, you're going to do as much as humanly possible in yeah. that regard. So he's like, I'll just do another movie for this or, you know, I'll yeah. sell some other <laughs> sell some other water drink or energy drink or something. I mean, let's be real. He probably did two sponsored content ads on social media and was able to pay mm -hmm. for it. <clears throat> yeah. Like with his follower account. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's good so anyways yeah that's a big segue bring this back to nerd content yeah um yeah i heard he was walking around as black adam yeah um, he came out on stage i think as black adam yeah at comic-con yeah which is interesting i haven't heard much of 
the DC side of things. Um, other than that, yeah, I heard that bit of news. Um, so I need to catch up on the DC content. Oh, uh, same. Um, like I've just seen a couple of videos, um, and I shared with you the the D and D trailer. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Um, um, which that'll date this because this is coming out in a while. So, <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we we're in the thick of of the San Diego Comic Con announcements right now, mm-hmm. as of recording. And uh, yeah, I gotta say the the D and D trailer looks uh, fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Um... There's a whole lot of because I, I follow a bunch of tabletop twitter accounts um mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are not on twitter like on the on youtube and on and facebook a lot of people who are just like well that druid can't wild shape into an owlbear because owlbears are monstrosities and not beasts and it's like man how about you go fuck yourself um it's <laughs> <laughs> like Someone pointed out, I think correctly, that oh wow, I, I if Chris Pine did it, I don't think they'd have a problem. It's because a woman did a cool thing in a trailer that mm-hmm. they're taking issue with. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. I've noticed um, incel and uh, racist culture really taking an upturn, huh? Well, it's <laughs> or an uptick rather. It's you get people that uh, now communicate in larger groups. Um, And you saw this with 4chan back in the day, you know, oh, I'm, I have a terrible, like marginalized view. Oh my God. There's so many other people here that have a terrible marginalized view. Yeah. Um, And that, that serves as like validation because they can't just go out and find someone like that, you know, unless you're at a, a clan rally or, (laughs) Yeah. Something else. You're not just going to bump into your neighbor uh, and usually start telling them about your uh, deepest, darkest, repressed, uh, you know, misogyny or racist views or right. You know, your your anger about woke culture, what whatever it is you're you're angry about. But if you find the right corner of the internet, you could be surrounded by like-minded people who validate um, what you think. Nine gag is a lot like that too now. Which I've noticed in the yeah, past. Yeah, nine gag has taken a taken a turn. Um, you know. Um, well, and, and funnily it's, enough, it's the, weird. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just it's just so weird. Uh, it, it's become part of the because you'll see them. Um, I think I just have to unfollow them on Facebook so I don't see their posts. Um, occasionally, you know, it's not like my feed is full of them. Um, and then going on there and it's like, oh yeah, here's some racism, here's some misogyny. Yeah. Uh, here's some tirades against woke culture. It's like, oh, okay, this must be like a very exhausting uh, condition to be in. Um, and so you just see that kind of spread and uh, and move around. So yeah, it is what it is. So well, some some of the criticisms I, I've seen are just kind of out of left field because it's like, do do you not know how how a trailer works? Because mm. it's like the complaints are largely to sum up my reaction to them, it's like, wow, the blockbuster movie has a blockbuster trailer. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're going to make it look like a Marvel movie because that's 
the thing, but a lot of people are acting like, you know, the D and D designers are physically cutting this trailer together. And it's like, no, there's like five companies that cut all of the trailers in Hollywood that come out. Like, yeah, they gave a bunch of footage to that company and they made a trailer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, people complaining about like, uh, Sophia Lillis's character is a tiefling and so like they're they're complaining that she doesn't have like purple skin or whatever and it's like you know there's a lot of CG in this movie they have a big budget but they don't have like a Marvel movie budget like yeah. that color correction probably is really expensive because she looks like she's in every scene of the movie mm-hmm. and then if they did body paint or body chalking I imagine they did screen tests or camera tests and we're like, mm, that looks dumb. Yeah. We'll just have you look like a regular ass person with horns and a tail. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think it looks fun anyway. Um, yeah. It's on uh, to uh, Mimi Me's though. Cause I know you said you had stuff to do today. So. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, I was thinking while we were talking before, I was like, you know, what would be great is uh, we could really mix up like timing because you said date things, but we could like date things and pretend that people that <laughs> are dead are still alive and then confuse the dating. <laughs> or we could talk about we could talk about projects that don't actually exist and would ha- just have like little like like little blurbs and things that sounded like realistic, like really just really wrote like, Oh yeah. I heard like production started. Uh, yeah. Like Chris Pine. Um, it's going to yeah. be an Aquaman three. No, 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 no. You got to go, you got to go way out there. <laughs> Chris Pine, like I heard he's going to be wonder boy. Like, did you hear about that? Um, he's going to be wonder boy and Spielberg is going to direct it. Uh, well, he originally was set to direct it. Um, Man, who knew that uh, Michael Sarah would make such a cool blue beetle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, we could we could date it that way. But in any case, um, yeah, I have baby coming up less than a month. Um, I just got a bunch of stuff to do. I bought a crate and barrel chair. It's very delicious oh. chair it reclines back so um, like a glider or like well it, it moves around you can rock side to side back and forth very exciting content here um but the best part of it was the reclining ability like you can actually have it recline just about till you're horizontal completely horizontal oh wow yeah and i tested it when my wife was on it you can press the back of it like real hard and, and it's, it's not, it's not going to tip over yeah nice yep so I anticipate doing a lot of sleeping in that um, <laughs> with an infant uh, in my arms uh, soon, which is just, it's insane. I guess from uh, I wouldn't even really call it because uh, I've been thinking about this and from the perspective of a potential parent to be, um, who doesn't really live their life in like a doom scrolling way. It's not even doom. It's just doom living. Like you live with a perspective that, uh, you know, you watch, you watch Mad Max, um, you know, Fury Road 
And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be like that, you know, eventually um, in some areas where you just have arid, arid structure or looking into. Are you moving... going to tell your new child not to uh, become addicted to water? Yeah, yeah. Don't become addicted to water. It is weakness. Um, but, you know, even a couple of years back when we were looking to move to Colorado and then I was looking up just information about the water table there. Um and water supply being such an issue. And it's not something that, um, you know, places um, from like a municipal government or even like a state government really want to emphasize the fact that they have water issues because that affects, you know, migration there and that affects growth and a lot of economic things, things that directly rely on their job and also the prosperity of their, uh, of their place. But I mean, you, you know, there's just so many issues like that, um, you know, related to resources, not just specifically water, but water is a really important one. Um, yeah. Where you have the whole Western block of the country is, you know, in the next couple decades based on projections, you know, it's just going to get, you know, worse. We're in a decades long drought. Um, in some parts of the Western um, oh, US. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, doom living, thinking about doom living with a child on the way is, um, it's really interesting. I imagine it's it's how uh, representatives, like, you know, maybe Mr. Sanders, when he talks about, um, you know, his grandkids and wanting to prove the, and plan it for his grandkids and stuff, the kind of, um, uh, enthusiasm um, and just constant harking on the same sort of issues that he does like yeah. oh, that's where that kind of comes from because um, knowing you know you're going to leave a whole collection of, of people behind eventually when you pass and it's kind of the same thing with at least for me you know bringing helping bring into the life into the world uh it's um yeah it's sobering because you're you're having to think about okay how do i prepare another human consciousness to i don't know take on a world that um is going to be even more challenging initially than maybe mine you know was kind of growing up even though you know i had kind of my own challenges and stuff um, and you know, that's probably not something I'm going to lay on the kid when they're like three or four, you know, um, <laughs> uh, so every, you know, before they go running to bed, drills in the backyard, <laughs> well, just before they go to bed, I, I prefer more mythic kind of action. So for me, it would be like, before they go to sli- go to sleep at night, um, I'd tell her, you know, okay. And remember everything will burn. Good night, sweetie. <laughs> I'm just watching her stare at the no, ceiling. Well, I, I get what you're saying about doom living. Like, you know, with the the house that we bought last year, um, you know, my wife and I have been like, there's, it's close enough to the creek that the land is pretty fertile. And so like, we have these two huge pecan trees that look like they're on alternating seasons. Mm-hmm. Um we have a fig bush in the backyard. Um, mm-hmm. Just 
wild strawberries grow on the ground and i don't know if you've ever seen those they're they're very very tiny they're like less they're than the size of a dime yeah yeah um cute. but yeah they're like they're just in the backyard i mean they, they get cut up because we don't cultivate them mm-hmm. <laughs> like when we cut the grass but um yeah like she's already working on things of like okay this is how you get a three sisters plot going um we'll probably have to grow our own food at some point because the grocery stock is not very good right now (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean you got to be prepared and and it's it's funny thinking about it in a practical way rather than like well i'm going to buy every caliber of nato round weapon and stockpile 50 gallon drums of oatmeal Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the basement like people that do that i like i'm sure they have their own concerns but like I don't know. I feel like there's a there's a weird realism that you have to approach with the coming years now that yeah. previous generations did not have to deal with. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, and maybe, maybe they did. Like, I never grew up. Well, I grew up very shortly during the Cold War, but not, like, conscious of it in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my parents, last time I saw them, were commenting on, like, growing up and having to do those, like, like bomb drills yeah like when they were in middle school yeah <laughs> um, and you know houses neighbors of theirs like and they, they're from like rural areas but like houses uh where the neighbors had like built their own bomb shelters mm-hmm. and things um i mean the first elementary school i went to all of the art because cl- like by the time i was going to elementary school like uh all the the post-cold war stuff had had already happened so it wasn't really a threat but the um the the elementary school i went to was built in the 50s and so the basement where all the like art classes were Mm -hmm. um i had to ask my parents what the symbol was on the door and they had to explain the concept of a bomb shelter oh okay because that's what was underneath the school like it it was the the radioactive like Mm -hmm. circle type type looking thing um so yeah i mean previous generations i guess did have their own issues but like it just it it feels a little bit more uh actionable now yeah (laughs) like yeah and i i know there's you know there's generally malaise um or anxiety with each generation um I, i can imagine being uh just speaking from my own country um yeah, being around during World War II and then, uh, you know, dealing with Nazi Germany. Yeah. Thinking about, oh, they want to just wipe us all out and that'll just destroy our way of life. Um, yeah. Um, I don't think there's... I, I'm not really interested um, from a conversational point to like sort of posit that the future is the worst for any particular perspective generationally mostly just talking about okay this is kind of how i see it um and there's there's just different experiences everywhere you know you have uh canada and uh generations past like their indoctrination camps with like native americans like kids were taken away from their households and families and you got kids now um 
and that's you know that's a historical thing that you know people are still living living with now um obviously but you got kids now doing active shooter drills um which other than certain moments in time um during the cold war like they have a higher statistical probability of dealing with an active shooter than they do with a nuclear bomb hitting them in uh, yeah. new hampshire you know yeah. new hampshire or uh whatever little area you know they're kind of living in so the ballistic blankets that people are buying for classrooms yeah yeah, yeah really really great um mm-hmm. So, you know, each each generation's going to have its own traumatic experiences. I'm sure the uh, potato famines, um, you know, that occurred, uh, you know, weren't great. Um, and being wiped up by smallpox was probably not really great for uh, you and your family and your loved ones. Uh, yeah. And that occurred. And um, well, like, I mean, just, you know, my my grandmother's 90 one um and you know she ended up having to live with family in hokkaido because yokohama where she's from uh was firebombed the fuck out of um and like she's still like if she happens to be outside and there's like a plane that flies overhead where you can like hear it Mm -hmm. um still will like get very agitated and like go inside away from it and this you know yeah like generational trauma and and big events affecting people is is you still see traces of it from (laughs) way back when when there were there were greater um threats so you know we'll we'll get through it it's just it's a it's a, a weird malaise to have um yeah so uh yeah really excited about having a kid so that was the uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's sorry uh, I, I i jumped on your your uh your doom living um, well i mean it's it's a shared, shared experience living. yeah yeah it's a shared experience um so uh yeah but there's there's plenty of positives with that as well um yeah yeah looking forward to seeing her face and um everything like that so uh yeah chair was about a thousand dollars um i don't go out really yes very expensive wow um uh so i don't go out so i don't drive a ton um for work um so i don't have an experienced inflation of the gas variety which i think was the first um varietal that most people experienced unless you're like in a specific industry and um you know those costs were computed for you time and time ago um but yeah it does look like we're dealing with inflation and then possibly headed towards uh a recession yeah it's like 10 so, percent recent or uh, inflation i think nine yeah like that. yeah yep yep i think like a majority of that is in um energy costs um and then before a couple months back it was like a lot of the inflation metric was um established from used car pricing believe it or not was like a good percentage of it yeah um i'm sure and... you've seen the meme where it's like uh someone's like busted ass toyota tacoma from like 2005 and it's like we'll give you 1200 dollars for it sold mm-hmm. and then 
like six months ago, $19,000. I know what I got. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I got. I love the confidence of I know what I got. Uh, Yeah. Someone who's done a lot of buying and selling online. Um, (laughs) Just like, you don't have anything. You just have something that was captured within a particular market segment um, and has some level of scarcity. Uh, Like I've seen, you know, guitar pedals that have smaller releases and then some, uh, there's a whole, uh, what are that cottage, cottage industry, um, of asshats who buy things up in bulk and then try to flip them, uh, for like an inflated two or three times the price. And generally there's enough success doing that, depending on what, what you purchase, um, that, uh, you can make a good chunk of change. You know afterwards and i think it's more i i don't know of anyone who does it like in a professional capacity um but people that are hobbyists and just trying to make more money for their hobby uh but they have that same kind of attitude about their scarcity of things and and whatnot and it's just it's so it's so funny to see because even if i've sold something that i knew had like an elevated price at the time um I've never wanted to type the words. I know what I got, um, or no low ballers. Price <laughs> price is firm. Uh, you will be blocked if uh, you try to lowball me. And it's just such an aggressive standpoint. Uh, and the thing about it is, is that if you're someone who does that professionally, you yeah. know you're like a reseller uh, of whatever kind, whatnot, whatever market industry that you're in. If you don't figure out a way or a process to weed out um, some like unwanted traffic or communication, then you're just, you're doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like you need to figure out a way about this um, other than uh, just taking on a really aggressive stance. Because even if I was interested in it, um, which I have, you know, been from time to time, I'm like, I kind of don't want to deal with this person because they kind of seem like an asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I know what I got. And it's like, yeah, I know what you got, too. I have eyes. I Just shut up. Just sell it <laughs> or not. Um, I don't give a shit. Because uh, we, we sold our car during, like, the high market time, one of our vehicles, since um, we were both working remotely and didn't need to and yeah we got more of it than we would in normal times um i just sold it to a private company um rather than try to sell it on my own because i don't really want to deal with hagglers and other things like that and i knew the market was so high that i could have gotten an extra amount um by selling it myself but you know sometimes time is just a little more valuable. Um, so any case, uh, yeah. What, what's, or about half an hour through. Um, <laughs> yeah. So doom scrolling, uh, random movie things, taking it back to the, uh, nerdville. I saw the trailer for Wakanda forever. It looks really cool. Um, I think it's really smart to make, um, uh, it looks like Namor, the the tone that i get from that trailer 
uh, for what they're going for is that like the the Atlanteans are are kind of a lost tribe of Wakanda, like like an offshoot tribe. Huh. Underwater, like just based on the like the tech that he's outfitted with and stuff. Yeah. Um, if that's the route they're going, I think that's a really smart way to take it because interesting. Like Namor's Namor is such a weird character that's gone from like bad guy to good guy to member of the Illuminati to not to, like, uh-huh. to a protector of one of the infinity stones. Like he's such a strange character. And I think that's a really neat way within this, the MCU to explain where uh-huh. the Atlanteans come from. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting take. I didn't think about that. Um, Tenak, uh, I'm looking at Horta who was in um, Narcos, who I really enjoyed uh, watching in Narcos. He plays one of those characters that um, you, they're obviously very flawed, but they're just really charismatic about how they live their flaws that you still are really interested in watching it. I don't know about an offshoot. I really like that idea. Not um, an, I mean, offshoot, I think, is the wrong word. Um, mm-hmm. Like a similar type civilization where like the technology is super advanced, but it's from long ago. Like yeah. a, a similar style society that's just yeah. underwater instead of in the middle of Africa. It does make more sense if they, um, uh, if they connect them somehow. I like, I like that idea. Uh, in in some way that's you know is somewhat organic um, and it kind of makes sense. Um, there's a lot of other parallels you could draw just from like a character basis. I mean, the fact that Namor and his people um, are so isolated, you know, from the yeah. rest of the world. Obviously, um, it was a position that in the MCU and also you know in the comics, but just talking about an MCU perspective. Yeah. You know, Wakanda did that up until the last film, really, um, that we had a Black Panther. So a society that is now opening itself up a bit more compared to one that is literally hidden away as well, like in the sea, um, and some of the parallels that you could draw from that. Really interesting. I, I think what was fun for me to watch in the trailer is um you know they obviously dealt with uh and i don't mean from the teaser but uh the passing of of chadwick boseman and um angela bassett seems to have at least in that teaser uh, quite a bit more of an expanded role which Um, is good i love it when she shows up in things i think she's a fantastic actor yeah 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 from her um from her tv tv movies on you know me seeing her and in different things and you know always giving a a great performance it was like oh well we had such a great loss and i imagine and then you know you got to kind of lean on the cast that's there um and i felt like at least in that trailer like letitia wright's character shuri seemed to have a smaller role um it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) it was it was up in the air like i I imagine there was a lot of talks, um, nothing of the level that you have with, um, you know, DC and um, Ezra Miller and, uh, you know, the WB talks that apparently occurred. Um, 
she with him. I don't know, she seems to have been a pretty consistent and vocal thorn in the side of the shoot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but um, it's it's not it's not of like it's not like holding a family hostage and like doing yeah. things with their kid. Yeah, yeah. Getting in fights. Yeah. Um Ezra uh they obviously have some um mental health things that could probably be addressed. But yeah. In any case, um so I felt like she's Letitia Wright's obviously in the trailer, but not what you would expect from someone who was initially you know kind of set up to like take the mantle on um even from even from like a pre chadwick boseman passing thing like you know that's happened with the shuri character yeah like she's taken that up and his absence i think it was his injury or something at the time um i'm not really familiar with that that comic book line but um so yeah angela bassett taking center stage there i think was um I was like, oh, okay. Well, this makes sense. I mean, she's here, so you're paying her, so might as well use her. Yeah. Um, so it's good stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't have much to say on that on, on a tiny little teaser, but it was good. Wasn't really anything else that really uh, shook my brain um, from the perspective of. What was released i thought uh watching she hulk some of the newer scenes it looks like they had touched some of the facial animation bits um so they looked better but then they showed some of what i think i've seen before like contextually and it still kind of looked the same um it's just it's a real rubbery kind of quality to the face um, yeah I mean that stuff that sort of VFX I would imagine is going to be done when it airs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like I imagine a lot of the footage that the trailer companies have are yeah. varying levels of done and so yeah. they're just putting it together cuz it's got to go out. Yeah, the newer newer scene stuff it looked like oh okay that looks better. Yeah. Um and there's there's so much related to um faces and like lighting and like subsurface scattering with skin and like what makes skin look real um so yeah it's a thing so and i imagine that's probably really expensive from a production standpoint since she's gonna be looking like that for a good portion of um of the series so but um yeah yeah there wasn't really anything else um guardians of galaxy 3 is coming up that'll be cool yeah i can't wait Um, for that honestly i think that's my favorite subline within mm -hmm. the mcu (laughs) well that you know as james gunn helmed that will uh segue pretty well uh because i think there's there's a lot of parallels there and some things to bring up in the film but i think that's that's probably my me 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 I'm okay. gonna go. I'm gonna go collapse in my expensive chair now. <laughs> well, so um, it's been a while since uh, I've I've uh, been on the um, movie uh, kick. Um, really, mine is mainly a TV, a book, and one movie that I got to talk about because we watched it, and I was just so thoroughly underwhelmed is uh halloween kills 
Did you mm. see that? No, no, I haven't seen a Halloween since uh, H2O, probably. So this is the sequel to the one that was a direct sequel to the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are so many just, like, I will say it moves quickly. I think it's like just under an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> there's a lot of graphic violence in the kills. So if that's what you're watching a Halloween movie for, I guess that's, that's something, but like, there's just so much in for so many scenes in it that, that if you stop and think about them for a second or get undercut mm-hmm. by the paradigm that the movie itself is set up. So like there, there's a large section of the movie where <clears throat> it's commenting on, you know, mob mentality right mm-hmm. and people mistake one of the escaped inmates as michael myers right mm-hmm. um who is not wearing a mask he's just out he's he's gotten loose from the bus crash that's happened yeah and people are like that's michael myers get him and chasing him right the guy is built like a potato sack and is very short one interesting two so you know like michael my like people would physically recognize i feel like michael myers Mm -hmm. two okay i'll use real world as an example do you think if you closed your eyes you could picture what charles manson would look like um yeah yeah i got a picture of him on my wall so i don't even (laughs) close my eyes the the reason i bring it up is that the, the residents of this town would absolutely know what Michael Myers' face looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's well enough known that the, the, the movie that this is a sequel to has him attempting to be interviewed by a true crime podcaster, right? There would have been a lengthy trial where they wouldn't they, they wouldn't let him wear that mask into the the courtroom like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like people would know what he looks like yeah I, yeah <laughs> if you're going to yeah, if you're going to place it in in some sort of reality yeah yeah like I, I understand like the audience never sees his face but in the world that they've created people would know what he looks like mm-hmm. physically they would know how big he is they would know exactly what his face looks like. Mm. You know, were, were Charles Manson alive and he got out, I'm pretty sure people would recognize who he was. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no hiding for someone like that. Um, it, it's just a very, very stupid movie. Characters are largely used as props, which I don't like. Like, they will say one thing in a certain scene, and because the, the story can only move forward if they say the opposite thing in the following scene, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a lot of the problems that like Lori has from Walking Dead, for example. Um, yeah, yeah, she, they gotta be okay. Yeah. We need we need some way to get him from here to here. Okay, we're just gonna make this character say this thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. like I don't know, guys. Maybe you should have taken a little bit more time with it. I I don't know. Like Halloween is probably one of my favorite slasher movie things. Like I'm not a huge Jason fan, not a huge Freddy fan. So. I don't know. I feel like you could skip this one. Um, Mm -hmm. They're doing the Halloween ends, um, which I'll probably see, unfortunately, but I don't know. The the one that this was a sequel to had so much more potential and Mm -hmm. yeah, 
I don't know. Don't yeah. go see this or, or see it if you want to see something that really shakes it up and you can just turn your brain off and not go, ah. yeah. <laughs> I think people would know who he is. I don't, I don't think that a mob would chase after this potato sack of a person. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, what do you think caused, I guess, the direction and tone? Because I haven't seen either one, the one before this or this current one. Um, um, does it I, feel like more marketability or just having an easier storyline to work from? Or is it just like, uh, this take didn't work out? So honestly, I think that they're fa- the writers are falling into the trap that a lot of Hollywood celebrities are, especially mm-hmm. if they're guys, of the quote unquote cancel culture stuff. Because like a large portion of this movie focuses on mob mentalities and mobs wrongly going after someone Mm -hmm. and so to me there's kind of this subtext of of like finger waggy like don't fall for what the group is saying Mm -hmm. it's like i i don't know if we need that in a halloween movie man like yeah um you know because like this went into pre-production let's see 2019 uh they filmed it in 2019 and then yeah it was supposed to come out in october of 2020 but then they pushed it and so it it was on peacock for a little bit um yeah like honestly all all the great content is do what all the great contents on peacock (laughs) yeah you've got the office you've got halloween every time (laughs) I, I I'm, don't know how common experience this is, but every time I see something on Peacock, I just get annoyed. I get irritated. Yeah, so, it's like, well, I guess I'm never going to watch that. Yeah. Um, like, ah, man. But yeah, no, to, to answer your question, I, I, I think it's a misguided step for them to use their their platform to comment on cancel culture which i don't know cancel culture isn't a thing like suck it up and grow up be better (laughs) doesn't doesn't seem like for me that um that's really a salient uh topic of choice for a slasher movie no um it, it doesn't doesn't seem like uh it fits um, the particular genre or even the character, the character very much. Um, well, like it's it's these mid mid forties white dudes who are so terrified about being yelled at on Twitter, mm-hmm. writing these movies because like the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's on Netflix. There's a scene where Leatherface is like attacking someone on a bus of tourists that's driven up and Mm. everyone whips their cell phones out and like physically say like literally say you're going to get so canceled for this (laughs) and then he rips the fucking bus apart because why does leatherface give a shit if you record him on your cell phone ripping someone apart yeah (laughs) um like it's things like that that's so frustrating that like these dude bros in horror are are doing Um, yeah so i don't know watch it don't watch it uh it's not really a recommendation i just wanted to bring up the fact that 
there was so much so much promise for this and then it they they pissed it away because they they had to take the dumb side <laughs> yeah yeah um, i'll say i'll say uh to touch upon this a third rail for a moment um and cancel culture um I'll say it's an issue when uh, you're not really looking at something contextually. Like if it's, because uh, I'll see that with like misunderstandings, like someone will say something yeah, as like a joke with someone else in that regard. Um, And then if that gets taken out of the context of like the friendship these two people have and like they're both busting on each other's cultural heritage or, or whatever, um, yeah. then yeah, yeah. If that gets taken out of the context, um, yeah, probably that person's going to get uh, speared in, um, in public media. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a much bigger topic than I, I want to try to address here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it it's... Yeah, we, we don't have to go into it any, any further than that. It's just, it's it's very weird, though. Like, that it's mm. it's all consistently the same type of person who's worried about getting canceled, quote-unquote. And it's like, mm. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe be more mindful of what you're saying <laughs> if, if you're that concerned about it. I... I don't know. I, I just I've li- I've stopped listening to a lot. I like I used to listen to like Tom Segura and um, Burt Kreischer and like Bill Burr mm-hmm. because like they had very funny stand up routines, but mm-hmm. they've slowly been morphing into this like anti woke mob mentality, even, even mm-hmm. though all three of those guys, I would say, are on varying degrees. of Either for like Burt Kreischer, maybe moderate Mm-hmm. Tom Segura, I think, is pretty left. Bill Burr mm-hmm. is also pretty left. But, like, they're all of a similar age that their concerns yeah. are yeah, kind I... of like, I I don't think that, I, I don't think that it's working how you're envisioning it, envisioning it working. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I think if you're trying to, um, It's it's comedy uh, to go because all those are like comedy adjacent, and I watched the last Bill Burr special, um, and I, I don't think it was as strong as, as some of the other ones I've seen. Yeah. Um, you can see where he's uh, treading lightly. Well, not really treading lightly. Trying to come to terms with like a uh, more sophisticated expression of what he means by. Um, by cancellation or something else in that regard. Um, One example he used was, uh, was it? Oh yeah, it was relating to Sean Connery and Sean Connery making a comment about, you know, sometimes you just have to like slap a woman (laughs) to like knock some sense into her in a like uh, article. I think the, was From attributed like, to like the seventies in like Playboy, yeah. something like that. 
and thinking about his particular time period and, um, you know, just knowing myself, uh, previous generations and their attitudes towards, uh, domestic violence and, and whatnot. Um, and thinking like, okay, yeah, we're just going to cancel every movie or contribution he's made, um, because of like this statement that is, you know, well, and also like you were saying, contextually, in the 70s, Sean Connery being interviewed by... Because I, like, I don't know the exact circumstances of that interview, uh-huh. but tone is difficult to get across in, in print, uh-huh. right? You, you yeah. constantly have people making fuck-ups in print. Yeah. Who's to say he wasn't making an off-color joke yeah. to the person writing the story and the bit that they use is taken out of the context of the conversation they're having? Could um, be. I mean, not saying that it's okay to joke about that. It could Uh have very well not been a serious comment. Yeah. That's been misconstrued decades down. Um, Yeah, I think the the crux of it to me, or at least one of the important facets of it with cancellation uh, and it being as a culture, you know, in Mm -hmm. in air quotes, um, I can see the obvious blank-faced thing which is yeah we don't want those kind of ideas and perspectives perpetuated into the now um you we don't want people to think uh that that kind of action and behavior is okay uh within a domestic partnership whether it's your wife or your um you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever kind of relationship you're set up in, um, where that kind of behavior is, you know, acceptable, uh, and something you want to encourage, uh, you know, it hasn't been a part of, uh, you know, a facet in any relationship that I've been in. Um, yeah. And so I can see that point. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know, I guess culturally that's, that's the point that is most, most salient for me. Like, okay, of course we don't want this here. Yeah. Um, but talking about a, um, I guess it's like that with really anything. Like if you take up, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson's behavior with his slaves, and uh the obvious atrocities that occurred there um like yeah we don't want to we don't want that in the now um and so i see that point of it um and it's it's kind of i think it's easier to see it within that kind of context because historically you're so removed it's a it's a little less easier to see that kind of context when you have someone who's there to own up to something they said or communicated yeah. uh, years ago, you know, in, in some ways, um, I'm sure if you found um, uh, some people's live journals or, um, you know, uh, from years ago and you put them on now based on like the perspective that they had uh, at the time in their teens or early teens or late teens, you could go ahead and 
cancel them for one reason or another. Um, Speaking as someone who had a blo- <laughs> had a blog spot um, mm-hmm. when I was s- seventeen, uh, yeah, no, I, I fucking monster. Um, yeah, I'm, you're gonna I'm, get way back to machine now, Zach. You better watch yourself. Watch yourself <laughs> carefully here. No, um, all all of that I think has been long scrubbed. <laughs> yeah, don't don't put the challenge up. Uh, oh no, anyways. it's not a challenge to find it. I'm just saying, oh, like I, I, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Like people yeah. are are complex and people change. Like, yeah, yeah. So it it is interesting. Um, I do. I guess I guess part of it is too for me. Um, and I'm not going to really talk about. I'm going to pick specific instances um well one one really um and to talk about okay uh what what perspective does this have because it's a moral it's a moral judgment that's made upon someone when they're like okay they they don't get to play in this space anymore you know because of something they did or something they said they don't get to play in this arena anymore and for some cases it's very clear like harvey weinstein should not get to be uh producer or lead lead uh you know production company um ever you know Um, i would go a step further and say anything with his name on it should be public domain yeah yeah so (laughs) there's there's other things um like we want to culturally speaking we have attitudes at least from from a progressive mindset we have attitudes and behaviors that we want to not encourage and kind of call out, you know, domestic violence, um, misogyny, racism, you know, you have your pick. Um, and people that were proponents of those, um, or at least express those views in an area that they found was safe. <laughs> Their tweets from 2011 or 2013, uh, when maybe they had less critique on them. And um, now those come in a, a cultural context where expressing um views and opinions that aren't aren't really encouraged from a progressive mindset let's say you know myself yeah. uh included um now have to you know take an account for and someone has to enter uh into you know they've already entered in the social content contract they're a public figure and then um you know they have to apologize for those or uh, explain or be advised that you know they we don't want those kind of views in the space that we're we're in now like we're, yeah. you're not a public figure or we don't want you to be a public figure or participate um and some of the examples i think are really clear cut um some of them i think for me if we want as someone who's progressive uh leaning and if i'm going to um it's not the same thing because the treatment isn't the same but I'm really thinking on one facet of it. So if we have someone who like robs a bank or murders someone or is convicted of manslaughter, you know, they got drunk, you know, someone, you know, someone um, unfortunately lost their life, you know, in the course of uh, their actions and responsibilities that happen. And we, you know, we believe in rehabilitation um, 
where like, hey, maybe this person shouldn't have their right to vote stricken from them for their entire life, you know, Um, or, you know, maybe they shouldn't uh, have to deal with um, something they did when they were 13 or 14, um, like a theft or something like that, brand them uh, for the rest of their life and, um, you know, cause them to get put into um, this, uh, you know, the system that profits off of, um, you know, uh, punitive um, actions that society puts on an individual and then branding them. And, you know, you don't get to play with the rest of us anymore. You know, you're a felon and whatnot. Um, We want as progressives to be like, okay, well, actually that's, that's not a system that really looks at rehabilitation or, um, and I think that's the distinction there. So thinking upon it, rehabilitation or even um, opportunity is different than uh, forgiveness. Um, Because if you are someone that says something or did something uh, and you're like, oh, I'm really sorry about that, you know, I've kind of moved on from that or, you know, that was just kind of an off the cuff, stupid thing I said. Nobody needs to forgive you for that. I mean, that's, that's your own personal perspective, whether you think, oh, okay, well, I feel like they're fine. Um, And on a public stage, I guess this also is is difficult to deal with from a social. Because I can just run into a a tweet that's like, I find offensive for whatever reason. Um, That person can apologize for it later, but that doesn't really have any obligation on me afterwards. Whereas like someone who, you know, commits a crime has to deal with the um, repercussions of that afterwards or, you know, societally isn't really set up for success, you know, that's rehabilitation. I don't have to forgive that person of an, if I'm not involved in that action. So I guess that's the distinction. But what I was trying to draw as the parallel is like, if someone is canceled, quote unquote canceled, um, it's, I think some of the arguments that people have relate to like, oh, well, why can't we just forgive them so they can come back and play? Um, but forgiveness and rehab, rehabilitation or allowing someone to continue on with their life is different, you know? Because yeah. um, I've thought about this, you know, being a big fan of, uh, of Louis C.K. before you know, everything happened with that, I've thought to myself, like, okay, well, what... I understand the situation and how it's set up in this way. Um, what are the conditions that are set up where he is allowed to come back and whatnot and do things of the nature that he was doing before. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it's not necessarily something. Oh, oh no, he's, he's touring. He's well, he's, he's touring, but he's not going to get, he's not going to get an HBO show. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And he's not going to be invited to be like a writer on, you know, three or four other different shows, you know, in the next 10, yeah. 15 years. Um, isn't going to be treated in the industry in the same way. He'll probably ghostwrite a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. Just related to like, you know, his talent for communicating to an audience in a, in a comedic way. Yeah. Um, and if you watch, you know, I watched his show and there was, 
there's a lot of stuff in his show um, that I was watching at the time before it, you know, uh, didn't continue, wasn't renewed, um, where you can see you have someone who's dealing with the moral quandary of making choices and then living with those choices and then making the wrong choices, yeah. even knowing when that they're the wrong choices yeah. based on like a compulsion or, um, you know, a sort of, uh, on our desire to do something in a particular way. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was a uh, one scene that stuck with me that I was like, Oh, um, even while, while I saw it and then uh, afterwards relating to, um, he had this uh, female comedian that was on his show that was playing like a love interest and he's been trying to get with her for a little while and he like blocks her way before she gets out of the door, like with his arm. And Oh yeah, that scene with Pamela Adlin. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but he, he lets her go. Like she just walks by because she's just like, whatever. Um, and it's like, oh, this is a really, really weird scene. Um, and in in hindsight of context, you you can frame it. You know, I'm pulling this out of my ass. So you can frame it uh, from a, an artistic expression or at least someone writing their life on screen, which... There's obviously some of that. There's obviously some fabrications in the show, but it's posited as like, okay, this is kind of sort of my living my life as someone maybe rewriting a situation that occurred, you know, knowing that, okay, I maybe did this another way um, where I blocked someone getting out of the room while I masturbated or whatever. Um, and, um, or, you know, someone who, um, had that compulsion and was trying to basically like rewrite history for themselves or rewrite an expression, knowing, you know, what the context of the action was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in any case, uh, you know, I'm not really advocating for anyone being forgiven or whatnot, but just touching upon, uh, I guess, cancellation culture and, some of the um oh some of the uh, my own thoughts i've had about it relating to like people and like actions and morality and public and whatnot so that's it oh well i've got two more things <laughs> um i don't know how long we'll, we'll discuss the last one but uh, i finished a book called uh masters of dune by david kushner um, it's a nonfiction look at the creators of Doom. Um, now, the book came out in 03, so it doesn't have any of the post-Id Carmack stuff with, with them being bought by Zenimax, um, any of that stuff. Um, it's a really compelling narrativized um, history of kind of an important section of gaming history that I was like cognizant of at the very tail end of. Mm. Um and, you know, I, I recommend it to anyone who's interested in kind of modern-ish gaming um, history. Because um, that, that author also wrote a uh, the, the history of, of uh, Rockstar games. Um, mm -hmm. Although that book came out 
probably 12, 10, 10 to 12 years ago. Um, but he's, he's really, really compelling to read. I, I, I was looking at his, um, or I'm looking at his Wikipedia now. Um, he's got a movie coming out based on an article he wrote called, based on the, uh, Silk Road and, and one for Zola, although I think Zola is actually a fake story that was covered and then it came out later that it was fake after the movie came out. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm looking, there's one book that I'm like, why the fuck would you ever write this uh, called Alligator Candy? Mm-hmm. And the write-up on this is... <laughs> Uh, Kushner's 2016 autobiography describes the abduction and murder of his preteen brother, Jonathan Kushner. One of the individuals convicted for murder, Johnny Paul Witt, was executed by the state of Florida after a lengthy appeal. Uh, David Kushner's book investigates details of the murder and describes the emotional trauma this inflicted on the family. (laughs) Why the fuck would you write about that? I... I there there is no amount of reflection done in such a public way that I think I would want to do were that me. But you know, yeah. I, everyone processes grief differently. Um, you know, he he's a very good writer. Um, I'm I'm sure it's well written. I, I kind of want to read it out of a gross morbid curiosity um, to see how how deep it goes. Um, you know this particular book masters of doom uh gets into a lot of the john romero john carmack kind of competition um there's stuff that i learned that i had no idea um the the like the context behind daikatana coming out Mm-hmm. right like it because daikatana gets dragged for being a bad game it was a, probably a little bit ambitious for what they were doing um it was also coming out at a time where he was licensing the quake engine right as quake 2 was coming out mm-hmm. um so he put out a version with the quake engine and then was going to port to different systems with quake 2 thinking it'd be a really simple process, but the engine changed so dramatically that it added about a year and a half worth of development onto it. So like, (laughs) maybe, maybe people should give Daikatana another chance. That's all I'm saying. Um, I had it on 64. I thought it was fine. I mean, it was kind of chunky and chuggy. Um, But, but um, yeah, read this book. If you're interested in the history of id software, um, up to a certain point, up to to about the year 2000 or so. Um, and then the the other thing that we cut through is, uh, so during one of the government shutdowns, my wife sat down and, and watched all of Dragon Ball Z because I, ha- well, not all of, we watched through Kai. And so I'm slowly getting her to go through the rest of the story. And so we, we went through all of Dragon Ball which oh. I hadn't seen in about 20 years, I realized. Yeah. But watching it, there's there's a lot of very slow sections, even in Dragon Ball. Yep. <laughs> like, I kind of want a Dragon Ball Kai. Yeah. Um, there's way too much of, like, 
child Goku peeing on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you can never have much, enough of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think the next thing we're we're going through because um, you know Dragon Ball only goes up through about the King Piccolo story set. I want to say. Mm. Um, it's relatively trim. Um, given that you know Dragon Ball Z has a fucking billion episodes, um, Dragon Ball the anime. Let's see the anime. Yeah, so the anime has one hundred and fifty three episodes, which is pretty pretty hefty. But like, it fits on a handful of DVDs, so mm-hmm. um, it's actually not as bad to cut through as you'd think uh it kind of slows down around the world martial arts tournament saga um where where goku is training under master roshi and man i forgot exactly how much of a pervert master roshi oh yeah starts out as and how tame he gets by dragon ball z yeah um like because he's he's like blatantly and open and openly hitting on bulma who's like 15 mm-hmm. um the Red Ribbon Army Saga, I think, is probably my favorite, just because it's the most fucked up and weird. Um, and, you know, Piccolo and Piccolo Jr. both are kind of more of the World Martial Arts Tournament, because I, I think they, yeah, they, they go back to the World Martial Arts Tournament. Um, so, yeah, I would say if, if you're kind of tangentially interested in this one, um, maybe, maybe watch the first handful of episodes of the red ribbon army saga. Um, and if you like that, maybe start over. If you, if you think you want to go in for the long haul, (laughs) start over. Um, yeah. Did you watch any of dragon ball? Uh, I watched the first bit, um, that was translated over. Yeah. Um, like for popular American syndication. Uh, and then I watched a couple episodes, I think in Spanish, because at the time that had been translated a little bit further. I know specifically for Dragon Ball Z, that was the case. Yeah. When, um, so I watched a little bit of it, and then Dragon Ball Z came into prominence, at least by the time that I had seen Dragon Ball, that I just started watching Dragon Ball Z. And I don't think I went very far um into dragon ball yeah dragon ball has a weird production history in the u.s like because they would they would package translated dubbed episodes like three to a tape but they'd be Mm -hmm. out of order like they would Mm -hmm. just be the ones that they were done done with and so a lot of the tapes have just weird out of sync storylines um just based on how production works on translation and and dubbing over lines Mm -hmm. and stuff um i don't think funimation had a great grasp on that at the time um yeah but uh yeah like looking forward to going through gt and then borrowing a bunch of stuff for super because my brother is super obsessed with super um gt is weird uh (laughs) i can't wait for her to see super saiyan 4 oh man (laughs) It's uh, it's weird. The little that that was, 
I mostly saw like clips of that. Um, yeah. As I, it was being like bad fan translations and stuff online. That was my the majority of my experience with GT. Other than the random games that you would get um, that were translated or um, you could play um, on like hardware, like after it had been modded. Yeah. Or even uh, back when I was looking into emulation and you could emulate systems and then play some of these games that never came out in the U.S. A lot of those were GT-related. Well, so my first exposure to GT was um, there. <laughs> I think the statue of limitations is up on this one. Um, so back in the mid mid to late 90s, before DVD and like piracy was really, really a thing, like internet piracy was really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to be able to log on to eBay or, or other like BBS servers, um, contact people, random strangers, and order certain show episode runs. And they mm-hmm. would, what you would do is you would write a check, it was so many dollars per tape, and send them the blank tapes mm-hmm. in the mail. And you would just hope and pray that they would actually do that, which I never had an issue with people not doing it. So it's like, you know, <laughs> the the times have, have changed on that, I guess. But um, yeah, like you, you mail off your box of videotapes um, and, a, and a check for like $5 per, per tape um, to some random dude in Florida who presumably had like a 24 stack of video um uh duplication Mm -hmm. machines um you're dating yourself there quite a bit but yes yeah yeah and i mean i think it's because i sent him the an slp tape versus Mm -hmm. uh just just a regular lp tape which is the, the super long play like you can get like six hours on an slp videotape um that like the dude threw in some um some uh gt episodes on the the dragon ball z episodes that i had requested and i was just like what the fuck is this this is amazing and no more information from that mm-hmm. um the then when ebay popped off i think i was maybe a senior in high school when um like I finally got my hands on a, uh, it was a Toshiba. No, no, it was a Sony DVD player. Um, that was, that had the functionality to play VCD discs. This is Mm. also dating me. Um, and so I went on eBay and for $20 got a giant pack of VCDs that only hold like, like they're they're literally the, the 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 audio CDs that you would burn, so they they would hold very low res copies of video files, and you'd only get like three or four per per VCD. But twenty twenty five bucks on eBay, this person just made me a copy of Dragon Ball GT on VCD, and that's that's how I watched it yeah. <laughs> with fan translations. So I'm excited to go through it again with actual proper translations. <laughs> rather than old ass busted materials that no one uses anymore. Yeah. Which you could argue DVD is that way. 
Yeah. Now. <laughs> when do you guys watch this stuff? You guys usually watch it like on the weekends after work. Uh, after work mainly. Um, you know, we'll we'll cut through episodes just to have it on in the background, like doing laundry things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Because I mean, like things like Dragon Ball, you don't really need to sit and pay attention. Like, and the dubbing now is such a level that it's like. Yeah, if you put on subtitles, like there's a couple of words that have changed to fit the amount of frames they have, but it's the same general thing. So if you flip it on the dub, you can walk around and do things and not have to sit and try to translate. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about an hour and twenty minutes into the show, uh, the Suicide Squad from 2021. All right, I got 10 minutes of stuff to say on it, so I'm setting my timer. Okay. Uh, let's see how much I can fit into 10 minutes. So, um, I'm just with you. So, uh, this came out, uh, had kind of a weird long production history. Um, so, $185 million budget, um, got back $168 million, but it also came out in 2021. So, yeah. not a bad take, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic has it at 72, uh, which is kind of low. Cinema score is a B plus, which I would be more in line with. Like, I don't think it's 90%. It's like an 87. Yeah. Me. I mean, upon watching this, uh, I like this more than most of the f- superhero genre things I've seen in the past year. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I, especially some of the stuff that Marvel's put out. I hate to say, um, yeah, a lot of it is kind of kind of drug. But like this, so this one also reading these notes that have come out um, since we covered the first one, um, something that I don't think we mentioned in that first coverage. I haven't gone back and listened, but um, I don't think we knew it at the time. But because that movie won an Oscar and its script is now available. Um, you can see the date that he started working on that script and the date that it became a shooting date, which is the locked-in script. Mm-hmm. Um, David Ayer had six weeks to write that movie. Mm. Um, that's that's a really, really short time to write a movie, that, that big budget. But yeah. um, So I think what we got is what you get when you give a good writer six weeks to work on something. Yeah, um, I mean, you get people polishing scripts for years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years, and years. then sometimes they never get made. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh, so 2016, Air and Will Smith uh, were expected to return for the sequel. Um, Air pushed and insisted on an R rating for the sequel because he had a little bit more clout at that time. Um, you know, the first one had won an Oscar. Um, which is still wild to me that that movie won an Oscar. It was for like sound sound or something Uh, like that. It was costuming. Costuming. Costuming, yeah. But it's still an Oscar-winning superhero movie. Yeah. Will Smith had to finish Aladdin and then Gemini Man in 2018, um, so production couldn't begin without him. Um, And then basically the team imploded. Uh, The story that they were going to use for the sequel was repurposed for Birds of Prey. Um, The writer for this one went on to direct, uh, or for the the sequel that was not 
made, uh, went on to direct Jungle Cruise. Um, and then Joe Manganiello had such a monstrous time on Justice League as Deathstroke, working with Joss Whedon, that he just entirely backed out. He was like, nah, fuck it. My experience was not great with this. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, really weird to watch. I, I don't remember much of him in Justice League, which is probably... Yeah, the fact that he's in it so little and he had such a bad time that he was just like, nah. <laughs> is is very telling. Well, um, I mean, he's such, she's such an alpha male. It probably was really difficult for Whedon to be around... Uh, such an alpha male character and person he's just handsome and tall and muscular and handsome tall muscular he's the biggest geek and seems like the sweetest person though so i don't know (laughs) why why you would be so monstrous to someone like that yeah um no logic in being terrible um but yeah in in 2018 fast forward to 2018 uh james gunn uh, was hired to write and then maybe direct this because he, if we go back in time and look, he had this kind of Twitter blow up where speaking of cancellation, there we go. Yeah. Well, so, and, and I, I said, even at the time to people that were, who were like, those jokes are out of line and blah, 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 blah. Like if you look at the dates for when he wrote them and -hmm. also consider that he was still at trauma when he Mm -hmm. was there, what, what they read like to me are a writer trying to figure out how a joke structure works on a new platform because Twitter mm-hmm. would have been out for like six months when he made these mm-hmm. Twitter jokes. Yeah, they're in poor taste. Probably bad. I don't know if they're fireable. I, I don't think that they're indicative of some like monstrous nature that he has. Um, whatever the case, Marvel got rid of him. Um when he was hired to work for DC, the extended Go universe on. for DC, mm-hmm. um, they they originally hired him to do Superman, uh, but he said that he did not feel certain about doing Superman. Like, that's just not his wheelhouse. So Warner Brothers basically said, pick any DC property that you like. So, <laughs> of course he picks the Suicide Squad. Yeah, because like that's that's just his wheelhouse. Um, literally, the day after he got hired at Warner Brothers, Disney decided to reinstate Gun. Like mm-hmm. nothing happened. Like even though they very publicly fired him, they yeah. Word came out that Warner Brothers hired him, and then they immediately said, "Oh no no no, we're we're holding you to your contract." Oh yeah, it was kind of like oh so we're people are allowed to hire you. Well, we thought. That wasn't the case, so yeah, yeah, we're gonna hire you again. Um, yeah, well, and and apparently the way it worked out, um, as, which luckily it seems like Feige is not some sort of industry ghoul. Uh, he he agreed to delay production on Guardians of the Galaxy three until after Gun Suicide Squad obligation was met because. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the human thing to do. Is like, hey, the parent company fucked up and wants you back. Um, Mm -hmm. we can either have a real shitty relationship with someone Mm -hmm. or we can understand that we fucked up and we stand to gain far more in the long term than Mm -hmm. pushing you on this contract and having to be right you know Um, the studio 
like they always do with big budget action movies wanted a pg-13 um gun insisted on an r rating and the studio felt that the the trade-off was was justified and and worth it in the long run Mm. um i will say i feel like this movie's is not hindered by the r rating i i think it's it's helped in tone um if you consider the fact that yeah r-rated movies typically don't make as much i think that's not the case anymore um and i feel like with certain properties you can get away with it like deadpool being an r-rated movie yeah that makes sense suicide squad being r-rated yeah that makes sense if you read the fucking comics (laughs) you got you got to find your audience um you know yeah and you really have to know your audience is going to come out uh, for an R rating. That that brings up the whole interesting scenario where I was still kind of curious with um, with three if they were going to push um, Deadpool R. And um, it seems like they are. Know. Well, yeah, they've advised. Fahey has said time and time again, and production company, yeah, it's going to be an R movie. Um, but then they had the uh, the holiday re-releases of Deadpool with the PG-13 cut. And it's just a really interesting It's a weird experiment. Cut. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Um, I do wonder if that had to do with a two-part thing. Like, okay, how, how much traction can we get from a PG-13 cut of Deadpool? And can Deadpool work as PG-13? And I feel like maybe that was more from like the production team, like Ryan yeah. Reynolds and them being like, well, if they want us to be it to be PG 13, can we do it? Yeah. So let's try to recut this and see what they have. Um, and so uh, just in, in that conversation of like money, I don't know what the box office was for that. I mean, it's a re-release. I liked the movie the first time. I obviously wasn't going to go see a PG-13 cut of it unless I was just really, really curious. Um, (laughs) So I feel like if you have a specific kind of movie you want to make, and if you have sort of like an impact and a viscerality you want um, the audience to experience, then yeah, you want want an R rating. I don't know how you do a movie like this with a PG-13. because you can't give it the same kind of stakes um, with like action and with like the impermanence of the cast. Like you can't really drive that home unless you yeah. like you're there and you experience their death in like a really real and like quick way. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it's um, what's well, interesting to me that. You know, I remember the ads for this movie coming out with like 30 different characters and like a big name actors. And it's like, mm, I feel like I know what he's going to do with these characters. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill, kill like 80% of them. Mm-hmm. They're going to end up with like six or seven. And like, sure enough, like that's what they do. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting looking at the roster that could have been like, so and I'm not familiar with all these characters. Maybe you are and can describe them. <laughs> but Some of them I, I knew and I've seen before just from well, weird so contact. Characters that they considered, but then ultimately said, uh, no, we can't do this. Um, Sportmaster 
no clue who Sportmaster is. Hmm. Um, Dog Welder. Don't know who Dog Welder is. Uh, I do know who Batmite was, but apparently the studio said, no, you can't do Batmite. So, um... You can't, you can't even touch this ancillary character related to, like, one of our beloved money-making machines. Well, like, so Batmite's weird because obviously it's Batman, but it also touches into the Superman weird, like, Mr. Mix, Mixoplex stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can kind of see the studio going, mm, I don't know the scope if the scope of what you're doing justifies having batmite in there for a joke because he looks weird yeah um livewire no clue who livewire is oh yeah yeah i've heard of livewire um i think i know who this next one is uh punch and julie um Mm -mm. they are yes they're exactly who i thought they were they uh, so they're captain adam um, villains that were repurposed for the DC, the or the when when DC finally owned up to Vertigo and put out a Watchmen re release. Yeah. So Livewire, uh, Superman the animated series. Oh, okay. Uh, she was created for it, and so that I remember watching her from there. Oh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, do you know who Black Spider is? Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah, no, no clue. Um, Deathstroke, I, I know, but yeah, uh, Manginello said no. They were going to do Man Bat again. The studio said no. We're not letting you do Man Bat. <laughs> Which <laughs> let him do Man Bat, you cowards. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Plastique, Chemo, KG Beast, uh, Solomon Grundy, which would have been real interesting uh i I feel like you get too close to like oh we might want to use him later yeah well also i feel like solomon grundy's role is ably done with king shark and king shark is a funnier character so um because i mean like i could see sylvester stallone also voicing solomon grundy yeah you know like they just had him on lock for doing a voice so um rainbow creature i've never heard of that character uh gunhawk knockoff uh killer frost would have been interesting mr freeze would have been interesting and then to tie it back into the dceu which they nixed this one i think because it came out at the time where they decided to not have the dc movies connect in any way but black manta from aquaman was going to be part of the suicide squad hmm which would have worked as a connector, but yeah, like at, at this point, I think they were, they were on in the camp of no, they're not connected anymore. So, <laughs> um, and then the last note that I had was that uh, during production, uh, all the scenes with with the the Harley Vision, where all the the colorful CG stuff is going on, mm-hmm. um, all of that was inspired by Lollipop Chainsaw, which is a video game that he wrote and helped to develop way back when so um yeah the this movie is uh largely a heist movie um the the characters that they have in it are uh 
they're fun. They're they're not. I'm I'm surprised that they went with um. Oh, who does Idris Elba play? Uh, Deadshot. Mm-hmm. Was he Deadshot? Yeah, yeah, he was Deadshot. Um, no, he was Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Which again, I I've never heard of Bloodsport. I did they make him up for this one? <laughs> um, no, he's just follows of the uh, the character archetype of like uh, oh he's some hired guy. Yeah, um, and like he's in in prison because he shot Superman with a kryptonite bullet and put him in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his character design with his his weapons is really really cool. <laughs> the you know obviously i think his back and forth or the the back and forth between peacemaker and rick flag um are are kind of the standout pieces in this for for peacemaker um king shark is well played i think i i'm not a huge sylvester stallone fan but i do think that nanawe uh being voiced by sylvester stallone makes perfect sense yep yeah, I think uh, you really just need to have someone who's able to uh, give like a little bit of color or like expression. Um, yeah. Like I don't feel like um... King Croc or uh... well, you get you no, know, no, because you uh, another voice acting uh, talent with like Groot and like the Iron Giant. I don't think Vin Diesel is like a world class voice actor. In yeah. the sense that range, but if you needed like a certain expression, like you need like a bruteness. Um, and then maybe because of the kind of characters they get asked to play all the time, having like something that's soft and like simple and like having a little bit of like emotional vulnerability yeah. um, attached to it. Like you get that with the Iron Giant, you get that with King Shark. Maybe it kind of like sets something off in them performance wise. Um, yeah. Because there's a softness to King Shark in between him chomping people in half. Um, talking about the costuming, uh, I noticed that um, James Gunn likes to make things cool and lame at the same time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love that st- that shtick though. <laughs> well, what it does is it it's it sets up an expectation, uh, at least especially while I'm watching this, where. Um, like boomerang um his like weapon of choice being this you know bladed kind of boomerang thing where it's like oh this is kind of lame but we're going to show it being really cool yeah but we're also going to talk about how this is kind of a lame thing um <laughs> blood sports like um piston compression driven like so bullets cool. it's so cool but actually kind <laughs> of weird and lame uh, in the sense that you can't really imagine those being very wieldy to to use in like in a battle. You don't want to have something you have to draw back. Yeah. Um, and when I was watching the the standoff gun scene between him and Peacemaker, and Peacemaker just has a regular bullet, you know, regular yeah. gun. Um, and I think because I can't remember if they aim at each other initially or if you have the delay of him having to raise up the gun from. Um, you know, uh, rats. Was it rat catcher? Yeah, rat catcher rat two. Catcher. Rat yeah, catcher rat catcher two. two. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice cameo with Taika Waititi as rat catcher. Yep, yep. I thought that was uh, 
is nice. You know, these guys have similar sensibilities uh, yeah. within, and I think paths to this uh, sort of genre, you know, um, guys that are known for like smaller work or more quirky work yeah. uh, coming to play with, uh, you know, these big toys. Um, so, yeah, th- speaking of like his armor and everything like that little skull thing he has underneath, which is just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um these like skull teeth um, and yeah. the same thing with, with everybody. And so you have like, Oh, this is going to be kind of weird and going to seem kind of really odd, but then we're also going to subvert that and show like how cool it is or how capable they are in certain situations. Um, so I think that leads to like a dynamic of like you have humor, but then you can also flip that and genuinely impress in like a superhero kind of, spectacular sort of way yeah yeah i i um i think that this is way better than the first one um mm-hmm. i say that as someone who kind of likes the first one um this this one is is uh more definitely more thought out but i think he had the time to do that because you know he had two years to work on the script yeah, um, and he gets to really set the tone. Like, I feel like yeah. that old DC Suicide Squad, like, it, it still has to fit on the umbrella of, like, so Zach serious Snyder. and gritty, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, and that's real tough to do when you have to get a PG-13 as mm-hmm. well. Like, with him being able to do an R-rated movie, like, I've seen a lot of people, like, hating on the original, or I remember seeing people hating on the original when it came out, and it's like, I don't know. I don't feel like that's fair. Like they're, they're two drastically different circumstances that these movies were made in. Um, yeah. This, this one is, is pretty interesting in that it combine it manages to be a heist film, um, a, an espionage thriller, a creature feature and a kaiju movie mm-hmm. all in one. And it's like just at two hours long. Yeah. so this they they don't waste a whole lot of time with with introducing these characters like they they do a lot of just like yeah you know who this is you know what this is about like <laughs> come along on yeah. the ride um even with characters that you're not familiar with like i was not as familiar with peacemaker or Bloodsport. um but like they kind of get that across diegetically because these characters also are not aware of each other and so when they do that little sneaking through the camp uh and having that kill off Mm -hmm. um, which is like morbidly very funny and then you know becomes even more morbidly funny by you know with the reveal that oh no these guys were supposed to be on our side (laughs) so watch watching that scene a second time yeah. It's it's so clear, like contextually, uh, what's going on because they're they both are literally shooting and killing people who are like doing laundry or washing dishes, uh, taking a like, bath. They're not like pressing rounds or like. Yes. <laughs> yes, they're not standing guard. You have the two guard guys, and the initial interaction is one of these guard guys who's just standing guard. Uh, says thank you to the other guy um and it's more like he's not 
they're surveying inward. Like he's looking in at the camp. So it's almost like he's looking around, yeah. not like looking outwards because they come at him from backwards. He says, thank you to the other guy. Um, I guess maybe he handed him like a coffee or something, or he's picking up his cup to like yeah. take it back to get washed. And that's the first guy that we see killed um, by uh, King Shark. And it's like, this dude is just a very polite guy. You know, <laughs> He says, thank you. And then he just gets chomped into pieces by King Shark. Um, and you hear them as, as the, uh, you know, on that kill off that occurs, um, the guy that uh, blood spot, blood, blood shot, blood sport. Anyways. Um, I've been thinking of the Van Damme movie, so I'm just going to call him Bloodsport from now on. Yeah. So one of the guys, the second guy that he sets on fire is like, no, 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 please, no. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and just like... <sighs> and you see these dudes with like their machismo leading to the murder of, you know, all these... Yeah. All these uh, rebel fighters. Um, so it's, it's macabre funny. Um, you know, and even more so when you watch it, it's like, oh yeah, this was... This is very clear that you're going to see this afterwards, um, you know, whether on rewatch or whatnot. Notice, like, oh yeah, this is totally the situation. These guys are idiots. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, well, and and um, I guess like we should talk about Harley Quinn. Like her her um, escape from the 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 prison. Like hmm. this is this is an action scene that is a hundred percent. I think a result of being an action movie in a post John Wick world, um, you know, you have a lot of up close, tight technical scenes that she's doing um, mm-hmm. that weren't really that weren't really the style for action movies before John Wick. Yeah. Like, there's a lot th- th- there's a lot of like uh, plant and payoff of yeah, she's got this one guy's gun. Uh, she's going to run out of ammunition eventually. What's she going to use next? <laughs> um, that that kind of feels like a hallway fight um, from from John Wick. Uh, I really, really liked it. I, I liked the way they incorporated that into it to make it feel like a modern action film. Yeah, it was very well choreographed. Um, better than a lot of fight scenes um, that I've seen and also really engaging. Yeah. Um, the stylistic change at the end, you know, with the flowers and everything, was yeah. uh, was really fun. Um, she interesting got a how multiplier cap- up. <laughs> yeah, seeing how capable uh, she was. Whether you want to hark it into believability or not, I don't really care. I'm not watching a, a superhero action movie for believability. Oh yeah, no. Um, no. Uh, but just watching how capable uh, she was and how entertaining um, the action sequence um, wasn't it? It felt like, oh man, if uh, I don't know about the filming and production timing, but having seen Birds of Prey um, and really just being disappointed, um, it's like, oh, well, maybe James James Gunn has like a Harley Quinn movie in his back pocket. Um, I would say that that's a fair, <laughs> fair guess. Um, and I don't know if... Because looking at the release dates, which doesn't really tell you a lot about movies like this. No. You know, Birds of Prey is 2020. Um, you know, the the Suicide Squad, you know, as we already stated, was 2021. Um, but the handling of the character 
just feels so much more solid um, from an action visual perspective, uh, dynamic perspective in this than than it did in, in Birds of Prey, which yeah. um, I was really rooting for. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. No, I I I didn't have as much of a problem with Birds of Prey. Like there are parts where it drags that it could have been edited a little bit better. Um, uh, I'm trying to see who. Okay, yeah. So the editing in this film is Fred Raskin, who does the the Fast and the Furious movies. He does a lot of Quentin Tarantino stuff, uh, and then also Christian Wagner, who does a lot of old school action movies like um, Mission Impossible Two, Face Off. Uh, he worked more with like Tony Scott, like that that type of action. So. I think that speaks a lot to the feel of this one that you have a modern, um, uh, both a modern and kind of more old school approach to action movies like this. This one feels different than the first one. And I I have no idea who edited the first one, but I mean, I guess Mm. I can look at it, but, um, yeah, the guy who did the first one is, uh did Pacific Rim and Nightcrawler and the Born Legacy like those are not really movies that I would think are the same type of thing as a Suicide Squad movie I guess um yeah yeah Starro was great yeah uh, Starro yeah Starro um is so gross like I forgot how much watching him do that multiplier thing made me itch. Like where he just shoots out more of them from like his armpit. It's straight out of his armpit, like flap. Yeah. Yeah. So gross. Um, watching, watching the rats go inside of him majestically at the end where Harley's just like surrounded by rats and eye fluid and blood <laughs> watching them chew like, the vascularities pg-13 movie either it's so so good yeah it's a very pretty scene and you can see like harley's like oh my gosh this is kind of majestic yeah um as she's you know she has an appreciation for the macabre um and whatnot and i mean her uh killing of uh that president made like more sense from a character perspective yeah it was like oh yeah she's she states it out. You know, she's looking for red flags. How does she deal with red flags? She, you know, murders the red flag because that that makes sense to her, and it also makes sense in the context of like, oh, I don't want you to do this terrible thing. I'm going to kill you. You know, yeah. Um, because it would have been a different movie if he if he'd been like, yeah, we're going to like keep this monster locked away. You know, we're not going to whatnot, and then it just would have been a straight up romance there. Uh, would have been the Harley Quinn and new president of Corto Maltese movie. Well, you know, the um, another thing I think that, that Gunn does really well in this is even though Starro is just a gross kaiju from space um, that dies horribly, um, it's so heartbreaking that his last words are, I was happy, floating, staring at the stars, and then he dies. Yeah. Um, and so heartbreaking. Like, he's... 
it, yeah, it's Star the Conqueror, and that like that's how he is the Conqueror. Is he takes over a bunch of people and turns them into more starry zombies and just gets bigger and bigger. But like, you're just floating around in space and got picked up. <laughs> he wasn't trying to do anything. He's just replicating himself. <laughs> yeah. So um, um yeah, that, that that was good. I think that shows his strength in empathetic perspective writing. Yeah. Like, him being able to communicate like a vastly different character yeah. and understanding like where they're coming from and how they're um, going to respond and act. And you can see that with, you get character actors, but you also get like, okay, we're going to get Rick Flagg's perspective here. Yeah. Like we're going to understand him as a character. We're also going to like understand, uh, you know, King shark and his acting. So yeah. like, Oh, what, what would uh, this shark creature that is obviously of a limited intelligence but has these needs and desires you know how would he navigate the world uh well if he's told to sit inside the van he's just going to sit inside the van you know (laughs) and there's like a beat where we get to see him sitting inside the van while everybody's in the club like getting apprehended but yeah he's just chilling in this van yeah, um, yeah. They told him to sit there, and they told him he that he was their friend. So he's just like, yeah. oh well, yeah, I'm just gonna sit in this van. Yeah, and he's. <laughs> I love uh, watching the line, and this is about communicating from the character's perspective, and why King Shark comes across so well, uh, because even though he consumes and eats people and tries to eat Ratcatcher, which is obviously from our moral perspective like reprehensible, um, he gets sees those little jellyfish that end up trying to eat him and yeah. he sees them and uh, again on retro on watching it again they assume his shape um and that's not because they're like trying to mirror like oh we want to be your friend it's like no we will cover the totality of your body with <laughs> us because we want to consume you yeah. um we want to cover every inch so we're going to mirror that in our reflection and he sees them and he jumps around and he's like more dumb friends um <laughs> And that's how he views it. It's almost like I, in that expression, I'm not sure if he's like saying like, oh, I have more dumb friends um, and like his other friends who he also considers dumb. Or if he's like, oh, these are friends, but they're dumb. Um, (laughs) But it's, uh, you know, interesting character, character color. And I feel like that's one of the things that... um, gun is good at doing just putting you in that perspective in a real concise way from another character so you get something some kind of feeling and interaction like you do with starro like oh yeah you feel sorry for this thing that tried to destroy um you know the uh corto maltese and you know ostensibly the rest of the planet where you can have kaiju movies where godzilla is fighting this other creature and um it's almost like uh, you don't get that effective communication. You're like, ah, you know, it's another monster. You don't really feel anything for it yeah. um, uh, or have any kind of relationship with it. And sometimes not even, you don't even really feel anything for Godzilla, which is, you should. I mean, yeah, something. You should feel something. Yeah. Um, so, good stuff. Um, yeah, and... Uh... My my last thing, or I, I have two last things. One, I thought it was really cool how they did the the title cards as if they were um, comic book issues, because I could totally see this movie being spread out among a storyline, like an uh, an old Ostrander storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with with the uh the, the the title cards that are worked into the background of the film rather than just being foreground text on screen you know um but the last thing the the cg in this i think is fan especially around um polka dot man is yeah. fantastic and horrifying like <clears throat> the 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 very last fight with with uh, starro where he imagines starro <clears throat> but as his mother but it's this gigantic woman <laughs> oh man uh which it's it's a really interesting way that gun uses the cg rather than heightening the violence is kind of a way of abstracting the violence that's actually being done because like in the harley quinn scene um when she's fighting with that that lance that she uses to stab out star's eye when she's she's working her way out of the prison and it goes into harley vision mode yeah like when she cuts people like these flowers these beautiful flowers bloom out of their chest right because she's having an episode or she's hit her kill meter or whatever um and yeah obviously the flowers are supposed to be blood but like it's a very pretty way of abstracting that violence just like polka dot man um ripping the fuck out of (laughs) starro's body like being like it's comical because it's being done to this like 200 foot tall middle-aged woman (laughs) who is roaring like she doesn't sound like a woman she sounds like starro (laughs) roaring in pain (laughs) yeah my favorite uh scene with um polka dot man was definitely him dancing with his mom on the dance floor multiple versions of his mom (laughs) so weird and you just see his face. He's like, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's his perspective. And from that scene, I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody's his mom. Everybody looks like his mom. And they kind of hint at that, you know, <laughs> several times. So, yeah. yeah and in, in other movies, you wouldn't get like as much of a perspective of the characters. And like, it's really succinct, but it's really like effective. It's yeah. like a really effective communication of like that character. So on seeing them again, I'm like, oh yeah, I feel for him, you know? Yeah. Um, even, uh, what's his name? Um, Saturday Night Live guy. Oh. Um, uh, what, what Pete, Pete, Pete Davidson? Davidson. Yeah. Yeah. You still like, oh, he really expected to not get murdered. And he, his face just gets shot right off. You know, right yeah. at the beginning. Um, oh, that that beginning scene is fantastic, especially with uh, is it? I think it's it's Nathan Fillion playing the detachable kid. Yeah, <laughs> and his arm—he <laughs> still feels everything, and I love mm-hmm. that he detaches his arms and like attacks a guy, but it's just this like limp-wristed <laughs> slapping motion because there's there's no like force behind it because yeah, it's there's just no, an arm in it's just space. an arm arm moving in space <laughs> it's however fast he can will it um <laughs> yeah there's not a lot of inertia inside of a hand um <laughs> so yeah and then they end up shooting his arms and he ends up dying um, yeah yeah the weasel i think is fantastic just the the whole introduction of the which i that was made up for this movie right like there's like i'm not familiar with that character 
If, yeah, that's if that probably a, a weasel character. Yep. Um, he probably exists. But I love the the whole like when he's first introduced on the plane and just sitting next to next to someone who has to strap him in because he's just this big dumb weasel just sitting there. You know, Pete Davidson's character freaking out. You oh, you put me next to a werewolf, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just just an animal is just sitting there staring at him no special powers (laughs) it's pretty great yeah so uh yeah like i i recommend this movie like on the netflix scale i'd give it a double thumbs up (laughs) yeah i i don't know how you feel about it because i i know you uh had issues with the uh the first one yeah the first one was just kind of uh like tonally it's just kind of confused and i wasn't really sure what what they were trying to attempt um i think it just suffers from you know the much talked about intensity that they were trying to convey with the dc universe and um a lot of production issues and whatnot being excited about it uh, as a potentiality and then experiencing what it was but um yeah this one was really entertaining um I probably I like this one more for what I could see done with the DC universe and characters um, and just how out there it is in relation to um, the superhero genre as a whole yeah um, uh, so I probably like um, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the second one, just to do with um, Peter Quill and his like father complex, and then um, you know the whole uh, Mary Poppins. You know, he may be your uh, your father, but I'm your daddy, or something like that. Yeah. Um, So I probably like this more than the first Guardians, which is just heresy for people. Um, but that's <laughs> that's only in so much as like how just out of the mold and kind of entertaining and showing me some more of the kind of stuff that I, I really wish you could see more of in the, the DC universe, which is just embracing some of the the quirkiness and the hokiness, which Marvel has plenty of that as well. But... Um, I don't know if from a design perspective or an aesthetic perspective, there's just, um, there's a lot of polka dot mans and other characters like that in DC, uh, that you could, that you could use and just have interesting stories. Just, just because I think DC's library goes back further, you get a lot of the weird bullshit from the thirties and forties, um, especially from action comics and like Hal Foster stuff. Like it, there's a lot more for them to play with in terms of quirk. I think, um, you know, Marvel has, has a generally more fun and easy going, uh, atmosphere the DC movies are just this big glowering mess of these grim faced, uh, 
gods mm-hmm. <laughs> having fights right like yeah and i think a lot of that stems from like i mean we have a dc movie episode coming up at some point but but um you know a, a lot of that i think has to do with Zack snyder's need to need to subvert something that has not been established yet and so when you just have the subversion but not the original it just comes off as weirdly gross and and authoritarian and gray yeah (laughs) like it's just not a very fun universe to be in um aquaman was fun uh the first wonder woman was fun this is fun right shazam um i still haven't seen Zack snyder's justice league i know i need to i I might sit sit down and watch that tonight because my wife is uh out cat sitting and uh all like six hours of it is it six hours i thought it was like four it's it's long i can't remember how long but yeah it's a long one Oh, I might watch the Batman instead then, because I, I mean you're, it's probably closer to four, but it's it's a long one. Yeah, I um I may be thinking it's just four because I've seen where someone has given you a guide, kind of like they did with the Irishman of like, if you wanted to watch this as a mini series, here you here's here's how you can do it and have approximately how long that would take. Um, oh yeah, no, it's like it's six hours. It's two hundred and forty two minutes. No. Yep. No, 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 <laughs> this is four hours. Four. Never mind. Yeah. My math, my math be bad. <laughs> yeah, I might watch Batman instead then because I haven't seen it. And <laughs> both of those oh, are the, movies uh, that she is not inclined to want to sit and watch with me. <laughs> Batman was so weird. Um, I don't know what they were trying to do with that. Yeah, it's I've never heard anyone review it middle of the road. Like I've either heard people who were like, This is awesome and this is exactly the type of thing I want it to do, or they've they've been like, This is hot garbage, that's not what Batman should be. So like I'm curious to see where that divide comes from. <laughs> yeah. Um I can see some stuff that they were trying to do. Uh It just doesn't work for me in a lot of ways. Um, it feels almost like a like a pastiche. If you wanted to um, take like the uh, Dick Tracy villain vibes, and from that like the early like Tim Burton Batman vibes, yeah. But then you wanted to uh, make them a little grittier and like more serious with like a little bit of Snyder. Hmm. Um, but then you also wanted to mix in and kind of ground it in like a real world, like, um, you know, like we did with the, um, you know, the Bale Batman movies. Yeah. It kind of feels like a little bit of all of that. And for me, it just doesn't, doesn't really work. It feels like a, uh, like a Dick Tracy kind of thing where like the characters are like way over the top. Um, I appreciate their detective skewing, kind of. Um, There's some interesting ideas there. But I don't feel like 
the Riddler puzzles were that Riddlery. Um, yeah. It was just like you. Someone looked up riddles online, and then they just. <laughs> this doesn't feel like a master riddle maker. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's something. I, I don't really want to take it from anybody that enjoyed it. You know, you're definitely free to enjoy it. it just didn't really work for me. So yeah. Well, I mean, that being said, uh, we're talking about other properties, so it's probably time for us to wrap up and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, uh, current book. What is the current book club again? It's it. Uh, no, it's not it. It's not it. It's uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is what it is. Okay. It was um, it for like seven months. It, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's long. It is uh-huh. a long book. Yeah. Um, but uh, next uh, next time um, we'll we'll be discussing. Um, let's see, what is the next one? All of these are out of order. I think the next one you and I will be talking about are, is uh, Marvel's What If. So that should be a good one. Mm-hmm. Yep, that'll be fun. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys then. Uh, All right. Bye. Bye.